first. This is not good news. Harris Swain, Liberty Writers News, reports how the challenge has been officially accepted. North Korean state-wide relations with many news agencies reported moments ago that North Korea will turn up the heat and warn that it will carry out. We welcome you back to week two of the series, The Simple Truth. Uh, last week, we uh, talked about the simple truth that the Bible tells the truth. The case I made was that uh, the Bible refuses to be propaganda like so many other sources of information that we get, that it's the whole truth and, and nothing but the truth. It tells the story of all the biblical characters in their greatest moments and in their greatest failures. And uh, it's, it's all that truth that gives me hope and promise. That this word is a word from God that gives me hope that I can be included in this story, just as those in Scripture were. This morning, I want to move on to the second simple truth, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment that has to do with humans and how God's created us. And I think this is a really important truth for our world as it is today. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you today. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. God, we, we invite you into this time and this space. And God, I, I just pray and thank you for being the God who is the creator of all things. You've created us. You've knit us together just the way you want us in our mother's wombs. God, I pray that your purpose would be clear in our lives and that we would see the full image that you have given to each one as we encounter the people that we come across this week, God. And uh, I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of, of, of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading from the first chapter in, in, in the Bible. So if you have your Bible with you or want to open on your phone, feel free to turn there. We'll also have it on the screen. Genesis One, I want to read verses 26 and 27, the crowning achievement of this creation, these seven days, the six days, is the creation of humans. And this is what it says about us as humans in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over all the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now my guess is that if you've read the Bible before, if you've committed yourself as a follower of Jesus, this comes as no surprise, this idea. It comes right in the first chapter of Scripture. By the way, if you haven't made that commitment yet, I just want to let you know we are so glad that you're here. And we hope this morning you'll find welcome in the midst of these words, because I think this is a truth for all of us. But But for those of us who have made that commitment, I think we would all say we believe these words, right? That God has created all of us in his image. That we have the divine image stamped on us at birth in some special way. We believe this. In fact, on our website, one of our core beliefs, it talks about this very thing. We describe humanity as this and go through this in every one of our Discovering Green Blokes classes. Or if you look on the website, it says there, God created humankind in his image. But each week... We're moving past that truth that's just kind of the propositional truth we carry in our heads to ask the question, if we believe that to be true, what has to be different in our lives as a result of that? Because if there's no action as a result of our beliefs, it may mean that we don't believe those things at all in the first place. We believe that all humans are created in God's image. What difference would that make? History is the story of the failure to believe that truth. Which brings me to a story in the Gospels in Mark chapter 5. So turn with me over from Genesis to the the New Testament to the Gospels to the Gospel of Mark. Mark 5 is a story about Jesus and his disciples. uh, And they meet a a man that I think 
is really instructive to this conversation about humanity and the image of God on each one of us. This is Mark 5, beginning in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now let's look a little bit at the context of this story because what happens right before this is very instructive for this. They land in the, 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 the place called Gerasenes, but before this, at the end of chapter 4, they've just had this squall rise up while they've been a, in, a, in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his 12 disciples. So they're terrified, and if you remember the story, some of you do from VBS early on, you, that, that Jesus is sleeping while everyone else is afraid of what's going to happen. So they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, how can you be sleeping? There's a storm. We're on the Sea of Galilee. Please do something about this. And sure enough, he, he calms the storm and he carries them over. And what we find in chapter 5 is the story that happens after that. They're just happy to have their feet finally on firm ground again. But the problem is, when they get off the boat, they realize that they're in the wrong part of town. They're in the land of the Gentiles, but not only the land of the Gentiles, they're in a cemetery in the land of the Gentiles in a place called Gerasenes. Now, when you imagine a cemetery, I don't want you to imagine the cemetery. It's a couple blocks north of here on Main Street. It looks, you know, pretty nice. If you went there at night, you might have a little, little you know, worry about yourself. But I want you to imagine that scene in the maybe scary movie you've seen in a cemetery, right? There's, there's smoke. There's clouds maybe that are low. That's what I imagine here because, you know, the storms just come. The, the, the storm's blown off to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And here they are. They arrive on land. And all of a sudden, the disciples are in the boat. They stay on the boat. But all of a sudden, this man, this creature, comes running out at them, at Jesus who stepped outside the boat. Now, you see, everyone around, living around the Sea of Galilee, would have known the legend of the cemetery at Gerasenes. At least I'm imagining it that way. Fathers would have told their children around campfires about that creature that lived in the cemetery. Uh, Older brothers, of course, would have scared younger brothers and sisters with this story. The story that many of you may have grown up with, scary stories that were told problem with that is this story actually checks out. The legend involved a creature that was half man, half beast, something like, well, Boot Radley from, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. That's how I imagine this. Children knew not to pass by this creature's haunted land. And, and though this was a legend, the people of Galilee knew there was some truth behind this at least. Because there were women before that had sent their husbands out with chains to go out there and find this man, to bind him at the tombs, to make sure that he was chained up. But every time it happened, he would break loose of these chains. So the story was told, and it was told, and it was told more. I'm sure the disciples knew about this cemetery. I'm sure Jesus even heard about this guy growing up. And when they get off the boat, the creature, as I said, runs as fast as he can at Jesus. And the disciples didn't know what to do. And their shock, I, I imagine, left them unable to know what to do. They just stay in their boat, and Jesus is there. And all of a sudden, this half-man, half-beast, this legendary Boo Radley character, he falls to his knees, and he says, What do you want to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? What? Please don't harm me. Don't torture me. But the key to this story comes in the next words that come out of Jesus' mouth. The question he asks, I think is a vital question for us in 2017. 
to keep in front of us. Beginning of verse 9, chapter 5. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? And that's a question that could change just about everything in our world. I wonder how many years it's been since this man has been asked that question. In fact, when he responds to Jesus, he responds. He says, my name's Legion, for we are many. You know somebody's got a problem if you're talking in plural about yourself, right? This guy didn't have a name, though, when the story and legends were told. I'm sure he was referred to by all kinds of nicknames by the kids around town that told the story. You know, all of us have those stories about people, nicknames that we give. Some of us have received those nicknames, and many of us, we've given nicknames to others so that we're not the ones picked on. There's something about using people's actual name that humanizes a person. Am I right? In 2006, I, I was a student at Abilene Christian University. And there was a group called Soul Force that decided they were going to come on our campus. And Soul Force is an organization that sends about 15 to 20 people every year uh, on an equality ride to raise awareness for the rights of the LGBTQ community. And my university, ACU, was one of the 20 colleges they planned to visit that year. How do you respond to a situation like that? They were, there were many schools on their list. And um, in fact, Soul Force visitors were arrested on many of the campuses they went to. The question ACU struggled with was, what would Jesus do in this scenario? And it was decided that ACU would welcome Soul Force onto the campus for civil dialogue and conversation. So when their bus arrived on ACU's campus, we were the first campus that actually had welcomed them onto the campus. When their bus arrived, these young people were impacted by a simple gesture. When they walked off the bus, they were handed a name tag. A name tag. We were the first university who cared enough to know what their name is and not just the labels and designations that others had hurled at them from their buses as they were arrested. See, other universities had labeled them things I can't say from the stage. Been all called all kinds of things from students on those campus. We were, though, not going to allow the cycle of dehumanization to continue. Just by using their names, we made them feel like humans and showed them the love of Christ. That's easy to judge and speak emotionally about an issue. But once you come to know the names and stories of people, it's far harder to do that, isn't it? Once it's your own kid, it becomes harder. Earlier this week, one of our members actually posted something on social media that I think applies very well to this quote that I wanted to share with you. It's a quote by a guy named David Platt, who uh, has, is, is, a, is a biblical writer. This is what he says, David Platt. We learned that orphans are easier to ignore before you know their names. They're easier to ignore before you see their faces. But once you do, everything changes. Yes, David, it certainly does. You know, history is replete with stories about dehumanization and the danger and harm that's caused as a result. What is dehumanization? Let me define it this way. Dehumanization is a psychological process of demonizing an enemy, making them seem less than human, and hence not worthy of human treatment. Or said another way, every genocide on earth has begun with a heresy. And it's the heresy of not believing the simple truth that every human is created in the image of God. Earlier this year, Holly and I went to Washington, D.C. And we went to a lot of memorials, went to a lot of museums, but the most impactful uh, museums we went to, the most powerful experiences we had were two in particular. One was going to the, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. The second was going to the Muse National Museum of African American History and Culture. 
And the question we walked away with from each of those experiences and those stories being told was, how could this have happened? How could Hitler get the support of the German people to kill over 6 million Jews, many more beyond? How could my ancestors become comfortable with the idea of, of taking African people, transporting them to America, and treating them as the slaves were treated? How are humans capable of such great evil? And here's the conclusion we came to. That kind of evil is only possible when we see people as less than human, when we dehumanize them. It's only possible when we commit the heresy of not believing the truth of Genesis 1, 26, and 27, that every human is made in the image of God. During the Holocaust, you know what the Nazis called Jews? They called them rats. Because it's easier to deal with an extermination project when it's not a human, but it's a rat. When the Hutus took out the Tutsis, you know what they call the Tutsis? They call them cockroaches because an exterminator takes care of that. But humans with names and stories, that's almost impossible. Slave owners considered slaves as subhuman animals. And when we choose to believe that others are no longer human, we're able to rationalize all kinds of evil that we never could otherwise. At Auschwitz, the people who were part of carrying out Hitler's plan, the Nazi guards, they didn't refer to the Jews by their names, actually referred to them by numbers that were tattooed on their arms. Reminders that they were no longer people with names and stories. No, they were numbers to be dealt with in that way. Why did they have a number? Because referring to them by a name would be too difficult to do the things they intended to do. When slaves were forced into slavery in America, they, they were branded. You don't brand humans. You brand cattle. You brand property. Incredible evil becomes possible when we commit the heresy of forgetting that all humans are created in the image of God. But it would be easy to point to the most extreme examples in human history of this sort of thing, wouldn't it? Easy to exclude ourselves and say, well, we're not like Nazi guards. We don't call certain groups rats. But the more important question to me is this. How are we, how am I currently failing to see the image of God in every person I encounter. And the more I've processed that question, I've realized that as much as I believe theoretically that all humans are created in the image of God, my behavior doesn't always show that. It doesn't take long to realize that we can objectify people, we can discount them, we can treat them however we want. Have you ever been on tra- in traffic on 75 recently? All it takes is just a, somebody cuts you off, right? And all of a sudden you've got names for people you never would have had before. You don't see the image of God inside, and that's impossible in those moments. It's anger that leads you to another place. I want to talk about another issue this morning that we need to talk about more often probably because it's an issue in our, our churches just as much as it is in the world. Any kind of lust or pornography that happens is a result of this kind of thing. The only way you can treat somebody on the other end of a computer screen or a magazine the way that we do to somehow get your pleasure out of their objectification is to see them as less than human. My response for others that are walking through this, I know many of us struggle with this sort of thing. I've talked about my journey with this, but I've got to tell you the way to fix that is not to look away from these people. It's actually to look more deeply. It's to see the image of God in every single one of them. And once you do that, it's amazing what you used to do that no longer becomes possible. Think about other things. Think about our business practice. Some of your business owners, your salespeople, and you know how easy it is to begin to see people as just money with a yes or no that determines their worth. Right, somebody says yes to you, you'll spend a lot of energy there, but somebody says no, it's off to the next thing. What does it look like 
in business, in the midst of the different things that we do with the students that we teach, to not dismiss certain ones. See the image of God in every single one. What if this is one of the principles of our, our children's ministry? We, we talked about this at a conference a few years ago, and it's shaped us. We want every child who comes through these doors to know that there's someone who's created in the image of God and deserves to be treated as such. In fact, our, one of our ministries right now, the Shine Ministry, is a great example of how that's happening. Some of our, our children with, with, with different needs than, than others, they're, they're being seen the image of God, and then they're being being seen and being helped, and, and families are, are, are being helped in major ways. I'm grateful for the ways that, that many serve communion uh, with the help of others, and that's a ministry we need to say more about. In fact, many of you may want to serve in that role in our Shine ministry. Let, let us know about that. I'd love to point you to the right direction. That, that's a result of Jesus saying that the image of God matters in every person, and we don't discount anyone because of special challenges. What about the people who are retail workers that we come across, right? Our, our, our service people that or janitors in our offices, or maybe, maybe people who, who serve us food at a restaurant we'll go to this afternoon. A lot of them wear name tags, and I'm curious what it would do if we began to just refer to them by that name and to realize that they have families, and they have needs, and they probably have dreams about where they're headed as well, and to begin to be concerned and see them, not just for the service they can offer, but for the story and the humanity that they have. They're a child of God. They deserve to be treated and tipped as such. What about political opponents? What about religious opponents, Muslims and otherwise? What about illegal immigrants? It, it's so easy to label people and to treat them in certain ways, but when you see the image of God in every single person, it changes the way that you encounter others. How often am I guilty of choosing to see someone as less than human in order to justify treating them less than what they deserve? And that got me thinking about a new kind of culture that's been created. It's culture on the internet that's been created, Right? Isn't it amazing how just being at a computer screen all of a sudden reduces someone to an avatar instead of an actual person who's on the other end? If you want to know that total human depravity is a thing, just look at the comment board on any website, right? In fact, I encourage you not to do that. I mean, we see the worst of humanity when all of a sudden we're distanced even further from a face-to-face conversation. In fact, I think this is one of the challenges and questions for our children's ministry and student ministry and our families in this day and age. Is it so easy to treat people in ways that are not fully human online? What does it look like for our children to see themselves as disciples who are walking through this with their, with their friends? This is a challenge in our culture to figure out how do we act as Christian online just as much as we do in person. This isn't just our kids, though, let's be honest. Anybody with any kind of social media account needs to think through these things as well. We're challenged to see the image of God in everyone, even those who disagree with us. In fact, how many of you have had relationships negatively affected during the last election cycle? Or people that you've had to unfollow or unfriend because knowing more about them was too hard to see. When we disagree with people about core beliefs, it's amazing how fast we are to assume the worst about them. In fact, recently I read a a book, a, a really helpful chapter from a woman named Catherine Schultz. She wrote a book called Being Wrong, and maybe you get this for your spouse if you have trouble getting them to believe this, but... uh this idea about being wrong has been really helpful as I've looked at the series and what truth is. But she talks about you know, the, the distancing, the dehumanization that's happened in our culture. And she talks about a three-step process of dehumanization. I want to share with you this morning that has been really helpful as I've thought through this. The first of those steps is this. We assume that people are ignorant. If they disagree with us, obviously we have facts that back up our perspective, right? And so if they disagree with us, then they must be ignorant. So what's the response to that? It's education. 
If we just would give them more education, if we would fill them on the, on the facts that we have and get rid of the false facts they have, then they'd come to understand things as we do. But if that doesn't work, what happens next? Well, we assume that they're idiots. That's what she says. She says, you know, it's not, now they have the information. It must be that they're not smart enough to take the facts the way that we do and see things the way we, they, they must not be smart enough to figure this out. Boy, but if we get to, and, and isn't this, this is the way it happens. If you've ever heard someone say phrases like, you know, well, you know how liberals are, or you know how conservatives are, or you know how they are, watch out if you hear that language. Because if you say that, what's next to come out of your mouth is this. Well, they're not ignorant or idiots. We know they're smart enough to figure this out. They must be evil. I want you to watch yourself. I want you to think through your own life and your own journey. How easy is this process to go down? Well, if we just give them information, they'll, they'll, they'll look at things like us. And then we realize that's not enough. Well, they must not be able to figure it out. And if we know they're smart enough, it's they're evil. And once you brand someone as evil, you know what's possible on the other end of that? You can rationalize all kinds of evil behavior to exterminate rats and cockroaches and whatever label you want to put on people so that you don't have to see the full humanity that's inside of them. This is such an insidious force in our lives, and I fall into this in the same way. And I'm challenged by the words of Genesis to be reminded that every single human has value and has worth. Every single human has the divine stamp on them. What would it be like to have a lens for the world where we're challenged every day this week to come across everyone we encounter and not go down this track? We remind ourselves of Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that every single person we encounter is created in the image of God. It is so easy to fall into this kind of thinking. Just think about yourself for a moment. Who in your life do you make those kind of assumptions about? What kind of groups have you discounted as ignorant or idiots or evil? This is a dangerous path to take because the minute we assume that, it's amazing what we can justify. And if you ever have a leader that says these kind of things, starts calling people by names like that, you better watch out. If you start to hear yourself saying these things, it's important to watch out. So this week in our small group discussion in our community groups, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the fact that all humans are created in God's image. But every week, it's not enough to agree there. We can have a lot of debate about, well, yeah, Colin said that, but this group, they're kind of evil. Let's agree on that. Bring that to the discussion, okay? But ultimately, we've got to ask the question, if we really believe that, if we believe that every human's created in God's image, What's going to be different about our life as a result of it? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to confess of? What needs to change in our behavior with others? What needs to change in our social media behavior? What needs to change in all of our life so that our life affirms the truth, not just our words? It's all humans are created in God's image. I think Jesus believed this, don't you? I think this may be the special thing in Jesus' life that allowed him to encounter everyone he came across and to believe more in what they could become than they even believed for themselves. Just think about the people that Jesus came across. And it ticked the religious off to no end, didn't it? Why is your guy hanging around with tax collectors and sinners? You know why he was hanging around tax collectors and sinners? Because they were created in the image of God and they had names and they had stories. Because when you know someone's name, it changes everything. That's why Jesus asked the demon-possessed man his name in Mark chapter 5. Because once he knows his name, all of a sudden you can't dismiss him in the same way so many did. The Pharisees didn't like it that Jesus chose to hang out with tax collectors and sinners, but Jesus knew they had names and stories. They were people created in the image of God. Think about it. Why did Jesus call little children to come to him? Because they were created in the image of God. 
And why did Jesus touch lepers when those lepers were dismissed and cast aside and supposed to stay away from others? No, he touched them because he knew they were created in the image of, I guess, himself, in the image of God. And it meant that he knew, needed to know their names and their stories. Why did he go to Samaritan villages? Because he knew even the Samaritans were people who were created in the image of God and deserved to be treated with every kind of dignity and love. So I want to challenge you this week. As you think about this, this is a truth we could all proclaim, isn't it? We believe that. We believe God created everyone in his image. The challenge for us is to go through and to see with that lens in our lives every single minute this week. What would it be like every morning to say, God, my prayer today is that I can see everyone I encounter is made in your image. That I look closer than just the externals that allow me to dismiss people and the labels I've been given, but, but I'm going to look at each and every person in the eye. I'm going to realize this person deserves to be treated with dignity and love Think about what this would change in our workplaces. Think about what this would change in our churches. Think about what this would change in in our schools. If Christians got a picture of this. And that's what we get to go out and do in just a moment. We get to take this lens with us and we get to see, do we really believe this kind of stuff? Or is it just kind of a proposition we roll around in our heads in the Bible? I know you're the kind of people that want to live this out. So I want to pray uh, today that, that God would give us that lens, that he would allow us to see clearly the people we come across, and to to treat people just as Jesus did, no matter who they were. Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Our God, our Father, we we ask that you would help us see the image that you've put in each and every one of us. God, some of us this morning need to be reminded of that very thing in our own lives because we've forgotten that we deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. We sometimes allow behavior to go on and don't set boundaries in our lives that are unhealthy because we forget that we are special, that we are your children, we are sons and daughters of yours. God, help us live up to that. The only way we're able to love others is ourselves is if we love ourselves first, God. Help us to see the special things that you've given to us that you see in us. But God, I also pray for the people we are challenged to love, the people that we slap labels on and so much easier to dismiss. And God, I pray that we wouldn't go down this track of seeing people as ignorant and eventually seeing them as evil. Help us to see that when we get up close to people and hear their stories and names, God, there's a whole lot more to people than the pain that we see responded to through anger and and all that happens in our world. So God, I pray for this even at lunch today as we encounter servers. I pray this throughout our week, God, as we encounter students and coworkers and people in all of our facets of life. God, would you help us to see you and everyone we encounter? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.